Okay, good morning. How's everybody? Good, good. Well, it's good to be with you this morning. And, um, you know, the Holy Spirit just kind of always meddling with me. I don't know if he, does he meddle with you? I saw one hand go up. I, I may be in the wrong crowd here. But he's always just kind of meddling with me, kind of speaking to my heart. And this morning, I, I was just praying about, Lord, where do you really want me to go this morning? And for those of you that may have been here last week, you, you know that I shared a message. We were, I know that Pastor Gary's been in a series about freedom in Christ. And last week, I, I shared a message that I think I called Freedom Through Union with Christ. And we looked at a passage of Scripture in Second Peter where it talks about us being able to escape the corruption that is in the world through lust by our knowledge of him and also by our participation, becoming partakers of his divine nature. And I talked about this critical idea, this paradigm critical idea between the difference between me seeking to live my life for Christ and me learning how to allow Christ to live his life through me. It doesn't mean the eradication of me. It means the participation of me with him. It means the addition of his life into my life in order to be a dynamic and an animating power to actually be able to accomplish the living of the Christian life. You know, in the Garden of Eden, there were two trees. There was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the Lord made it very clear to them that if they partook of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they would surely die. And he made it clear that they would die on that day that they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But there was another tree in the garden called the tree of life, which if a man ate from it, he would live forever. Well, here's the interesting thing. Adam and Eve were tempted by the adversary to eat not of the tree of life, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the Bible says, on the day that you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, on that day, you're going to die. Well, Adam and Eve obviously did not physically die on that day. So in what sense did they die? Well, the Bible says that man was made in the image and after the likeness of the Lord, which means that man was made spirit, soul, and body. Spirit is the part of man that was made in the image and the likeness of God, and man was born with a human spirit, which distinguished him from every other being on the earth. Because plants don't have a soul and they don't have a spirit. Animals, I'd argue, have a soul from a biblical perspective because they have mind, they have emotion, they have volition, they have physiology, they have appetites, they have passions. But what distinguished man from everything else that God had created is that man was created with a spirit. The reason why we know is because the Bible says in John chapter 4 when Jesus was talking to the woman at the well and she said, where do you worship? Do you worship on the mountain or do you worship down in Jerusalem? And he said, the time is coming and now is where those who worship the Lord must worship him in spirit and in truth because God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So for man to be created in the image and after the likeness of the Lord, he was created with a human spirit. Yes, he had intellect, volition, emotion, passions, appetites, physiologic, but he was created with a human spirit. Well, we know that he didn't physically die on the day that he ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He didn't physically die because he went on and lived and had children and grandchildren and lived for hundreds of years. So how did man die on that day? Well, he died spiritually. 
You see, man had a human spirit, and that human spirit was the place in which God's intent and desire was that he would place his Holy Spirit in man's human spirit, and then he would become the dynamic and the animating power and strength and capacity to actually enable the man to to be all that he intended man to be that God's spirit would dwell inside man. That's why it says in Ezekiel 36, verse 26, I'm going to take the old stony heart out of you. I'm going to give you a new spirit. Then I'm going to place my spirit within you and then cause you to walk in my statutes and keep my ordinances. In other words, I'm not asking you to do this Christian life apart from me for me. I'm asking you to let me be the power by which this Christian life is manifested and revealed through you by the strength of my capacity in you as you yield yourself and surrender yourself to me. That's why the Bible says, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And you no longer be conformed to this world, but you be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you might prove what is that good and perfect and acceptable will of God. The natural, logical response that we would have to the Lord providing for us the opportunity to be born of the Spirit, to have a new human spirit, may be regenerated, and then to have His Spirit placed within us to be the dynamic and animating power to actually live the Christian life. Our logical response, our reasonable service, our spiritual act of worship, as different translations say it, should be to present ourselves to Him as a sacrifice. Live through me, Lord. Work through me. Love through me. Resist temptation through me. Express your plan and purpose through me. I want to be your vessel. I want to be the temple in which your Holy Spirit dwells. I want the church to be living stones, being built together as a habitation for the Lord. I want to be rooted in Christ, grounded in Christ, grow up in Christ. I want Christ to dwell in my heart by faith. I want to be able to say, for to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. I want to be able to say that I'm dead and my life is now hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is my life, appears, I'll appear with him in glory. In other words, if my understanding is that God originally intended me to be body, soul, spirit, into which he would place his spirit, and then he would begin to be the dynamic and animating power and resource through which he could express his nature and character through the unique instrumentality of my one-of-a-kind humanity, if that's God's intention, what a great invitation. But how different is that from what so many of us have come to understand the Christian life to be, which is essentially Jesus did a bunch of stuff for us and he's finished. Now we need to do a bunch of stuff for him in gratitude for what he did. But it also feeds something, that view. What it feeds is independence. The Lord did something wonderful for me. Now I'm going to come up with some plans of wonderful stuff I want to do for him. And then, by the strength of my character, my personality, my emotions, the brilliance of my intellect, and the force of my human will, my passions, I'm going to put into play... My plan for God's life. (laughs) What I think needs to happen, Lord, i got a great idea here. Isn't it interesting that the tree of which man ate was not merely the tree of the knowledge of evil? 
The tree was the knowledge of good and evil. Essentially, it was an invitation by the adversary for man to become independent of God. You can decide for yourself what's good. You can decide for yourself what's wrong. You don't need him to be a man. You can be a man without him. You can be a human being without him. But you see, it's impossible for man to be man without putting God in the man, without Christ being in us. Apart from him, he said, we can do nothing in John chapter 15, verse 5. For man to be truly man as God intended man to be, we cannot be independent from God. We have to be connected to him to be what he had created and intended us to be. And if we attempt to live apart from him, then we not only decide what's evil or not evil, but we also, for ourselves, make the decision what's good and what's not good. Because essentially, we become independent. You see, the great sin of Adam and Eve in the garden was not the sin of some heinous crime that they committed. You could argue that it was a misdemeanor, minor petty theft. The great crime that was committed was the act of independence from God. The act of essentially deciding, I can be me without him. And I can be the best me I want to be. I may even decide I want to be me for him. But I'm just going to be me for him without him. On my own, I'm going to decide what constitutes a good Christian life. On my own, I'm going to decide how to live my life. On my own, I'm going to determine what I'm going to do for him. But I'm not going to need to rely on him. Now, most people would do that not because it's some sort of deliberate act. I know that there's an option. The option is either Christ lives in me as my hope of glory, or I'm going to try and live for him. Most people would choose this dimension because they didn't know this one was available. They thought that was the proposition, was that Jesus did a bunch of stuff for you, so you'd go do a bunch of stuff for him. And you decide something good to do for him and do it. Let me give you an example of this. I may have even made this example before, but I find that I have to say these things sometimes 20 times before somebody starts to get it. One time I was in a Bible study. Some kids brought a young woman to me with two small children. The two small children were there. My college kids had picked her up on the street. They decided, you need to help this woman, pastor. So they brought her to me, which is frequently true, to see what I would do. Now, I've shared this maybe before. So I, as a good Christian, who knows good from evil, right? I know what the good thing to do is. You obviously need to take care of this woman. But I was just beginning to learn that I have the choice of either deciding good and evil for myself or relying on the Lord's wisdom, his strength, his power, and his plan. To know what is good at this moment in this situation for this person right now. Not how can I reduce God down to a few simple ideas and then, thanks God, I don't need you anymore. I'll implement these for you. But rather, Lord, I want you to live through me. I want you to be the one who guides my life. For as many as are led by the Spirit, they are the sons of God. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. 
Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge him. All of your ways, all of your ways, not just in church on Sunday. In all of your ways, acknowledge him and he'll direct your steps. So I stopped at that moment, and I remember we had some kids gathered around, and here's this woman with these two small children. She had no place to go. She'd been kicked out by an elderly man who was living, had allowed her to live with her, him for a while, but it started pressuring him, her to have sex with him, and, he, and she'd been kicked out by him. And these kids had picked her up, brought her to my Bible study, and here I am just beginning to learn the difference between me living my life for Jesus and Christ living his life through me. In the midst of this situation, I stopped and I said, you know, before we go any further, I want us just to pray. And so we took hands and we prayed. We were in a group of people. And as I prayed, as loudly as I've ever heard the Lord say anything to me, I heard him say to me, Mike, don't help this gal. Don't do anything to help her. At which point I began to argue with the Lord. Jesus, that is a very unchristian response. (laughs) for you. What do you mean don't help her? He said, don't help her. Don't have anything to do with her. Well, I won't go through all the details of what happened, but over time, I finally got to this point where I realized, okay, well, I, I don't know what to do. So I opened my eyes and I said, you know, all I can tell you is when we, I bowed my head to pray, I feel like the Lord told me I was not to help you, not to have anything to do with helping you. And I remember looking over at Patty. She was on the other side of the circle and she's going just like this. I'm getting the same thing from the Lord. And so I said, well, we need to go. So we started out of the church. We got out of the church, and this woman and her two children are on the front steps of the church. We got in the car, turned off the lights, locked the doors, started to drive away. I pulled over. I got to go back. I got to go back. But the Lord's saying, don't help her. Don't help her. I said, Lord, I got to. I got to help her. What do you mean I can't? And Patty's saying, honey, the Lord said for us not to. I know this is hard. I must have pulled over two times, three times on the way home, thinking, i got to go back and help this woman. When I drove away, she and her two children were sitting on the front steps of the church. Finally, I went home that night. I didn't sleep all night. All I could do is think about what might have happened to her. I don't know how long it was. I honestly don't know. It might have been two, three weeks. I don't know how long it was. But one day I got a phone call. It was from her. She said, Is this Pastor Mike? I said, yes. She said, I'm the gal that came to the Bible study with the two children. Do you remember me? I said, oh, yeah. I remember you. Yeah, I I remember you. I've been wondering, how are you? What happened to you? She said, I'm calling to thank you. Not what I was expecting. I want you to know what happened after you left. After you left, she said, I got so mad. I was throwing things. I was cussing. I was kicking the door of the church. I was screaming and yelling. She said, I kept going and going and going until my children literally fell asleep on the front steps of your church. And she said, and then I finally sat down. And she said, I was at a broken place. I picked up my phone, and she said, I called my sister, who she didn't tell me lived about five blocks away from the church and with whom she had had no contact for about five years. She said, when my sister heard my voice, she screamed. She ran to the church. She picked me up. She said, we have reconciled. She said, I'm living now with her. She said, my mother, my father, my brother, my sister, we've all reconciled. She said, now my mother is keeping my daughter. 
I'm keeping my kids. She said, and I've just gotten a job at a post office. And she said, my entire family has been reconciled. And she said, I was too prideful to call them, and I wouldn't have done it unless you had said no to helping me that night. By the way, and Patty's right here is my witness, a few years later, I married her to that postmaster. (laughs) And she continued to, when we left the church several years later, she continued to attend that church. You see, when we reduce the Lord down to, he did his part, now he's giving us principles, and here's what he's saying, here's the truth, there's the way, go live the life. And we try to do so apart from him, our natural tendency is to rely upon our perspective of good and evil, Divorce from the dynamic of the wisdom of his spirit and his life. And when we do so, can you imagine what would have awaited this young gal had I, in my attempt to be a good Christian, helped her? You see, sometimes we want to do what Israel wanted to do. Israel said to Moses, when they heard God speak, tell him not to talk to us. Tell him not to talk to us. You go and ask him what he wants us to do, and then you come and tell us, and then we'll do it. But tell him, please don't talk to us. And the Bible says, so the people stood at a distance while Moses went into the thick darkness where God was. You see, we have a tendency to want to reduce God down to just give us some basic principles, sort of like the Rotary Club, and just kind of tell us what what does it constitute good Christian living, and we'll do it, or we'll try to, or we'll look like we are. But tell God not to speak to us, because that gets scary when he starts speaking to you. Because the Bible says that his thoughts are not my thoughts. His ways are not my ways. How different are they? Higher than the heavens are above the earth are his ways than my ways and his thoughts than my thoughts. You see, if that's true, if I don't think like God thinks and I don't do things the way God would do them, then what are the chances that I, on the basis of my own brilliance of intellect, am going to figure out in the situations of my life exactly what the Lord's up to? You know, years ago, I was, I was in a situation where the Lord told me to start a uh, 7 a.m. service in my church. This was in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, where I pastored for 25 years. And I remember thinking, why do we need a 7 a.m. service? But I was in prayer one day, and as clearly as I could, I used to actually keep notes. As a matter of fact, I used to go into my office, and I would sit in front of my desk, not behind my desk, in front of my desk, and say, okay, Lord, you're the pastor of this church. What's on the agenda today? The thing that most amazed me is that most of the time, his top ten things weren't even on my list, and my top ten things weren't even on his And often when I did his top ten, he took care of my top ten, and I never had to get him on the list. I was learning. Learning, beginning to learn. 
And so what I did is I, I said, okay, Lord, what's on your list today? And one of the things that I wrote down as I felt this really strong impression, I want you to start a 7 a.m. worship service. So I said, okay, well, I'll start a 7 a.m. worship. So I started it, and we ran it. And for, I don't know, maybe a year, maybe a solid year, if not longer, there were more people that had to come to serve the service than actually attended the service, okay? Between the worship team and the ushers. And, I mean, we had more people there to serve the handful of people that came than we had come. And that went on for a year, went on for a year and a half, a couple of years. And I remember thinking, Lord, why am I doing this? Can I just stop this service? Eventually, it started growing. Eventually, it became a viable service. But right during that time when it just made no sense to me whatsoever why I was doing this, and I frequently asked the Lord, can I stop? And I kept getting the impression, you know, let the peace of God rule in your heart. I kept letting the peace of God just keep with this. One day, I looked out in the service, and there was a guy sitting there, and I recognized him, and he's a well-known figure. And I was surprised to see him. And he came up to me, and he said, hey, listen, I've got to go catch an airplane and the only reason why I am here in your service this morning is because you're the only church in Jackson Hole that has 7 a.m. service before my flight. So I'm going to catch an airplane, but I want to know, I'm going to be back in about a week or so. Is there a chance I could have lunch with you today? Because what you preach today answered a question for me that's going to make a major impact in my future. And I said, okay. So we had lunch to go. Well, long story short, that lunch ended up in what's now become about a 25-year relationship of my closest friend, and a number of years ago, I was sitting at the embassy dedication where the embassy was moved from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. I was sitting there with about 300 world leaders, surrounded by some of the most well-known faces in the world, thinking to myself, what in the world am I doing here? And the Lord, just as clear as I could hear, said, 7 a.m. worship service. Because I was there because of him. And because of things that he and I had done together in that world. Now, here's the thing. What I'm trying to say to you is that the knowledge of good and evil divorced from the life of the Lord leads to dead works and actions. Good and evil does not possess within itself the capacity to discern nor to implement apart from the power of his life in us. When his life is in us, the law, which is good and pure and praiseworthy and virtuous and of good report and has all the wonderful things that we want the law to have, there's nothing about the law that's wrong, but there's something wrong with me and the law apart from him. That's why Paul said in Romans chapter 7, I, the law is good, it's righteous, it's pure, it's holy. But he says, but I am captive to my self-inspired narratives, my sins, me trying to do my life apart from him, I'm captivated by that. And as a result, I find that the law is true and right and good, but the power to perform it, Paul the Apostle said, the power to perform the law I don't find in me. 
What I find is that in me, that is in my flesh, that is my outer man separate from his inner life, I see nothing good there that can be put to use. And he ends by saying at the end of Romans chapter 7, verse 34, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death, from this condition that I keep finding myself in? Who will deliver me from it? And then Romans 8, he answers his own question. Praise God through Jesus Christ my Lord. For the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, his spirit in me is what sets me free from the law of sin and death which is in my members. In other words, his life is what alone can activate and give to me the dynamic necessary for the outward understanding of the law to become written on my heart and then implemented by the power of his spirit. I then have to recognize that my battle in this world as a believer is not just with evil. My battle is with human good divorced from his divine guidance, wisdom, and power. You see, the flesh, which is my mind, my will, my emotions, my passions, my appetites, it is the outer man divorced from a redeemed and renewed human spirit empowered by his spirit, my flesh will do anything in its power to remain in charge, even do good stuff, as long as it gets to choose what's good. If you can finally get it to where it won't do evil or not do it blatantly or where anybody else can see it, it doesn't mind if it gets to do good as long as it doesn't have to relinquish control to the power of God's spirit and life inside. When the Lord told me not to help that woman, he and I had a huge argument. You know why? It wasn't because I was afraid he was going to look bad. It's because I was afraid I was going to look bad. What are my college students going to think of me if I don't help this woman? What's my reputation going to be if I don't act good and be a good Christian in this situation. My battle was to preserve me, to preserve my reputation, to preserve what I wanted to accomplish, to preserve how I wanted to look. And that's exactly what the enemy was trying to get me to do, is to act upon my ability to figure myself out and get my answers and just leave me alone, God. Don't talk to me. I just want to do what I think is right. That's exactly where the Lord, I think, wanted to bring me to because he wanted to show me that I don't even know what's right on the higher level of his understanding. That in fact, I would have done a good thing that would have been destructive to that young woman's life where he was calling me to do a different thing because he knew all the details and things I didn't know. What he was asking me to do is depend upon him rather than me. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge me. Let me direct your steps. You know, my wife was talking to a niece yesterday who is 
getting ready to be an empty nester, and she was telling me this story as we were driving to church, and she said, you know, she called me and said, I just feel like I need to talk to Aunt Patty. If I can talk to Aunt Patty, I'll get the answers I need. And she said, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about going back to nursing school, and I don't know about this, I don't know about that. I'm not going to tell the story well, but eventually she said, I just feel like I need to know what, what do you have to say? What do you think? I'm thinking about going back to school. She was already a nurse, doing this, doing that. And Patty said, you know what? Here's what I want to do. I want you to just hold on because I'm going to go out on the back porch and I just want to talk to the Lord. Aha. Suddenly a principle emerges. I don't want to just tell you what I think. She had plenty to say, by the way. Plenty, she thought. I could tell her this, I can tell her that. I know this person, I've got these assertions, I've got that example, I know this. But she said, just hold on. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he'll direct yourself. So she went out on the porch, and she said, Lord, I want to empty myself of all my ideas. And I don't want to come up with the thoughts of what I think are the right thing for her to do. Because I may not even know what the right thing for her to do is. But what I do know is you know, and you're in me. And you said that if I lacked wisdom, I could ask you and you'd give it to me. And you'd give it to me liberally and you wouldn't find fault with me if I ask in faith and don't waver. So I'm asking you for wisdom. I can give knowledge. What I'm asking for is wisdom. And suddenly a series of things came to her mind to share with her. She went out and shared. Over a matter of a few moments, they ended up on the Internet. There was an opportunity for ministry where she got to be a nurse, where her husband got to be a photographer. It involved a, a mission ship that goes out and does ministry on the, around the world. And, and by the time they hung up, they were both thrilled. And the thought before that would never have occurred to Patty, and that wasn't even what she was suggesting to her. She simply suggested a principle. The principle led to the idea. The idea led to an answer, and they're already in pursuit of it. But here's the thing. What was the biggest battle? The biggest battle was what's my opinion. What do I think about this situation? What could I tell you? You see, in the end, if I want to make the decision to escape the corruption that's in the world through the agitations, lust, epithumia, the agitations that the world tries to get my flesh engaged in, to stir up my mind with racing thoughts, to stir up my heart with anxieties and fears, to stir up my will with anger and frustration... If I'm trying to escape the corruption that's in this world through lust, there's only one way I can do it. It's through the knowledge of him and becoming a partaker of his divine nature, Second Peter. I want your life in me to work through me. And I've been on my own for so long doing my thing, my way, even for you, that to make the shift between me letting you begin to live your life through me versus me trying to live my life for you is going to involve a definite shaking of my standard operating procedure. I've got to learn to move from independence to dependence, from leaning on my own understanding to trusting you with all of my heart, to trying to figure out what I know about the situation, what the solution is, to understanding your wisdom. One time I was pastoring down here in Cashers. I am coming to a close. I was pastoring down here in Cashers. And uh, I had a brilliant board of directors. I mean, I had a guy who had been you know, the head of a major medical uh, uh, supply company. I had a guy who would, had been the founder of Buster Brown Children's Clothing. And I mean, his family. And they, I mean, I had some amazing people sitting on my board. And I also had a guy who was, he was uh, a, bug, a bug guy in town. 
he had a he had a orkin or something like that. I don't know what it was. And we were sitting at this table, and we were trying to solve a problem. And the problem was, you know, uh, we're running out of space. We got a school. We 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 got offices. We got we're running out of space, and we got to figure out what to do. And we started trying to figure out how to build a building and how to do this and do that. And we had all these ideas of what we were going to do. And so all of us, with all of our brilliance, I mean, our mind was just sparking. Our neurons were flying across the room. I mean, it was an amazing display of brilliance taking place in the room. Amazing, nauseating. I'm not sure which it was, but something was going on, okay? In the midst of all that, I noticed that my, my guy who ran the bug company had just bowed his head like this. Very irritating when you're having a brilliant discussion. <laughs> and so I kept on, we kept on, we sparked and flied for a little while. Again, I was just beginning to learn some of these principles, but at this point I definitely wasn't walking in them at the full understanding. And finally, I couldn't ignore it anymore. I said to him, called his name and said, Is the Lord saying something to you? And he looked up almost like he was surprised we'd even noticed him. <laughs> he said, well, I just got to thinking. I feel like the Holy Spirit started saying to me, what about renting the house that's right next door to the church? The big house that's on the hill across the parking lot that has a major sign on the front that says, for rent, and has had for nine months. <laughs> and that has two houses with plenty of room for us to move all of our offices there. And we could start next week moving in. You mean that one? In an instant, all of our brilliance fell to the ground because we were so enamored of all of our experience and our insights and all of our great intellects that we thought we could figure it out without God. By the way, we rented that property, moved all of our offices over there, met all of our needs, cost us a, a tenth of what it would have cost us in any other solution we were coming up with, and perfectly matched our need for the moment. Well, here's the idea. Over here was a group of brilliant guys trying to do a good thing for God. Over here was one guy, didn't have all that background and experience, trying to hear from God what God wanted to do through us. And in one moment, the wisdom of this guy outweighed all that these guys had to say. How do you live your Christian life? What difference would it make if you just got to the place where you accepted a baseline proposition which is that the call of the Christian life is not for you to live your life in his name based on your prospects and your propositions of what that looks like, but that the call is actually for you to let Christ have control and live his life through you, bring you along for the ride, and, let you sh and show you what he knows that you don't know, what he can do that you can't do, who he is that you're not, what he has access to that you don't. The difference between temporal and eternal 
between flesh and spirit, between death, dead works, and life, things that outlive you, is all hanging there in the middle of that. Father, in Jesus' name, I just pray right now. I know that we've talked a lot around an important issue for the past two weeks. But there is something here, Lord, that is something that takes our Christianity out of the realm of just really a a philosophy of life into the realm, Lord, of a transformational connection and union with the living God. And Lord, it seems to me, the more that I read the word, that this is exactly what you want us to know. Your word says, beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of this world, and not according to Christ. As you've received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith. Lord, I just pray that somehow I can again move the needle in my heart and all of our hearts towards this radical and transformational invitation to actually become partners with you in seeing your life expressed in this world. And Father, if our hearts are open to that, I pray that we'd quickly start to discover if we just take the pause, just take the pause to not act independent, but to act dependent, to not trust in our own understanding, but to trust in you, to not go with the knowledge we have, but to pray for the wisdom that we lack, to not say no when you want to say yes and not say yes when if we'd be still a moment, we'd hear you saying no. Give us, Lord, just a little inkling of the difference that might make in our relationship with our husbands and wives, with how we raise our children, with how we conduct our businesses, with how we interact and move in the world. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. Can we do that real quickly? Just stand together with me.